Well, it's good to see you here this morning. So glad you made the choice uh, to be here. And we've been having fun for the last couple months, or at least I have. Hopefully you have too, working through the, the book of Mark. And each uh, week we kind of hone in on kind of a section in the particular chapter that we're in. And this week we're in chapter 8 of Mark. And so you can start turning there now if you'd like. And we're going to be in verses 31 through 38. And don't forget my reminder that in the course of the week, this isn't too much of a homework ask, but that you're reading the rest of the chapter because there's so many good things. This one per week in particular is so hard to choose which section to, uh, to look at, but we're going to be looking at these verses at the end of the chapter, verses 31, 38, in a uh, service titled or t a message titled, Fully In. I was thinking about in relation to this topic, how many decisions we make in our life without necessarily thinking through the implications of those decisions. And you bring to mind a decision that maybe you've made in the past that really you didn't necessarily think through the weight of it or the seriousness of it. Is, is there anything that comes to mind that the implications didn't really set in? How, how about this one? How about, for those of you that are in this, how about marriage? How about marriage? Anybody say that was maybe a decision that you didn't necessarily think through fully, the implications of how radically that would change everything? There's lots of people nudging their spouse now. Uh, but I was, uh, ha I've had fun, uh, Adrian and I have had fun over the last couple of months meeting um, with Josh and Lindsay just to talk about their upcoming wedding and uh, talking with them. It's kind of fun cheering them on. How many days are we away? 27 days. Uh, if you ever want a day update, you can get that. And I found myself, as Adrian and I are talking, and trying to explain to her what marriage is like. And like when you're on the other side of it, you're like, it's really hard to explain. It's fantastic, but not absent of some, some challenges. That's so cute. This was just an excuse to show those pictures. Um, and we were talking about it, and we, we determined that we'd spend a little time meeting before they got married, but instead we'd have a couple meetings after they got married so that we could be more educated in our conversation. So anyway, point being, decisions we make without understanding the scope of it. For me, marriage is one that I'd say I had no idea what a mirror to my own selfishness it was. Anybody else amen to that? A mirror to my own selfishness. Uh, that it is. And I think uh, another one, another one that maybe we don't think through quite as much the implications. How about this one? How about those of you that are married or not? How about having kids? How about that one? That, that's a pretty big implications to that. Like try for the rest of your life, uh, that implication. And, and though, though implications, I was talking with Chad about it the other day and just talking through the implications of that choice. And he's like, man, nobody really prepares you for that. Nobody really sets it. But how many things that are, yes, challenging, but so much joy that comes from it as well. There's something to do with when something's more challenging, a lot of times it's more rewarding. I've gotten to enjoy over the last couple of weeks, we, I think I mentioned it before, I've been doing these date nights with my two daughters. So we pick a night to go out. Alexa, we went out to a really nice restaurant, the Olive Garden, and uh, enjoyed some soup, salad, and bottomless basket of breadsticks. Are you kidding me? So we had so much time just chatting it up, and she was so cute all dressed up. I put on a tie. She's in her little dress. Well, this last, last week, was my younger daughter's a decision where she wanted to go eat. I'm like, well, honey, what do you like to eat? What do you, what do you enjoy? And I liked her response, bacon. I'm like, all right, well, what do we do with that? And, and so, we, so we, headed, uh, we, we headed to 
Wood Ranch uh, because Daddy's got to eat too. And, uh, and, and so uh, we headed to Wood Ranch, and, and she landed on a really fine item there, mini hot dogs. And so, uh, so she, that, that's what she enjoyed. But we had the greatest conversation. I was asking her, I was, I was like, see, you know, how, how would you, we're trying to keep conversation going. I was working pretty hard. And, uh, and asked her, I was like, what would you describe as, as your, your perfect day? And she's like, this is. And I was like, oh, you're like, I'm still tearing. Um, uh, and so, but I was thinking about the, some of the implications of the choices that we make. We have no idea when we're stepping into it, what's going to come from that. Now, in this chapter, if you've read it, like your homework said to do prior to this, Peter had been engaging with Jesus Christ, and Jesus asked him point blank, after all this pouring into him, asked him this one question. Who can tell me what the question is he asked him? This is a test. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And guess what? Peter got it right. He's like, you're the Messiah, the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. He finally got it. And one might say that might have even been the point or crossroad where it was the, the point of his, uh, of his salvation or saving faith. But it wasn't necessarily, we're going to see in the text here today, it wasn't necessarily informed faith. What I mean by that, he, he understood he was willing to embrace and make that decision to follow, but he didn't necessarily understand what it meant to actually follow this Messiah, what it actually meant to follow the Messiah. And we're going to see in chapters ahead, in this section in chapters ahead, that he didn't know what kind of ridicule that he was going to face. He didn't know that his Messiah was going to suffer. He didn't know that eventually, as church history points to, that eventually he himself would be hung on a cross with the same death that Christ had only upside down. He had no idea what the implications of his choice to claim his as Messiah. And many of us, if we're honest, we don't really ex understand the full extent of that as well. And so this morning, the encouraging thing is, Jesus takes the time to walk us through what it actually looks like to follow him. And let me warn you in advance He's asking for us to be fully in. Let me pray for us. Dear God, I thank you so much for this text and the fact that we can't say you didn't tell us so. You didn't sugarcoat things. You clearly explained what it meant to follow you. I pray that your spirit would speak to us this morning through this text, that you would allow us to count the cost of what it looks like to be fully in. And that we'd come out on the, the other end of that, that choice and that decision making the right one. God, direct us and guide us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So much easier if you're looking at the text as I'm reading through it. And so if you don't have your own Bible, we have one in front of you in a chair there. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that one with you. We're going to look at verses 31 in chapter 8 of the book of Mark. This first description, we're going to see that Jesus himself was fully in. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Not a good idea. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let's pause there to unpack this a little bit. I don't know about you, but how annoying is it 
when we have someone that asks you to do something that they're not willing to do themselves. Have you ever had a job or, or a responsibility that, that somebody was calling you to do something, but you knew that person that was calling you to do it was not interested in doing it? I had a, a summer job when I was in, in, uh, in college. I was working for the street department in Chicago, and I came to find out that all the stereotypes about city workers were true, well, at least in Chicago, is uh, they had what we were considered was summer help, and we'd show up and you had the directors that are full-time there working, they would basically just kind of sit in the truck and give you instruction. And I remember all summer just being so annoyed because I'm like, man, we could get this work done so much quicker. I even asked the, the director one time, I was like, man, we could get this done so much faster if you actually, uh, if we did this together, you know, trying to rally the, the team. And he's like, uh-uh, he didn't like that idea. In fact, I wasn't invited back the next summer. But, uh, but, but the, the idea here, that I, the reason I point to that is that's one of the things that I love about following Jesus Christ is when he calls us to fully follow, to dive in fully, he's, he's set the standard. He's the one that said, listen, I, look, look at the text here. It says, I, I was willing to, I'm willing to take this to the extreme. I'm willing to go through suffering and pain and even death. I'm fully in for you. He wanted to make sure that was clearly stated. It's interesting. Two other times in the book of Mark, Mark 9.31, we'll have that on the screen there. It says, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. When he is killed, after three days he will rise. Mark 10.33. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. He, it was very important to Jesus that they understood what was on the horizon. A lot of times we paint this picture of Jesus as like, Oh man, he was in trouble. Like the, the religious leaders, they were after him. He was doomed. Uh, he couldn't do anything about it. He's saying, no, I was headed there intentionally. So some important things that he wanted us to understand. One is that he was going to die. That's what, that was the mission. That was part of the plan. This was a, it, the other thing to know is that it was a choice. It says in the text that they were going up to Jerusalem. Wait a second. If you knew there was a place that they were wanting to kill you in, would you typically want to go there? Like when you're planning your vacations and you're picking a spot, like play probably a spot that they're determined to kill you, you want to avoid. But here it's a, he, he was intentional. He was going up there purposely. But don't be confused. It wasn't suicide either. It says in the text there, it says they will condemn him to death. It was a choice of the religious leaders of that time to condemn him to death. Three different times, or I guess just two in the text, that he points to the fact that also, and the most important thing, and I, I feel like maybe they, f they just brushed past this fact, he said, it says in the text that he said it plainly, that he would rise again. He knew exactly how this whole thing was going to play out. He was fully in and committed to. Why? Why is that? Mark 10, 45, one other verse I want to point to, is the reason why he was determined to head to this cross it says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to, but to serve. What does that look like? And to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom for many. What, is, what does ransom mean? I looked up the definition of the word ransom, because you're saying that's why he, he did this. A payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. 
a, a, a payment made for the release of a prisoner. Think about that in our, from our perspective. That's what he was doing on the cross. He was making a payment for somebody that was in prison. A lot of times we're just kind of cruising through life and we don't realize apart from Jesus Christ, we're prisoners. We're prisoners in our rebellion and our rejection of God, even prisoners to an eternity of separated and damnation on the horizon. So that's what we're ransomed from. And this, I've mentioned it so many times here in church, that's the most critical choice and thing for somebody to grasp in their entire life is the fact that there is a ransom made on your behalf and it's your choice to accept or reject that. Peter wasn't sure what to do with this because he pictured the Messiah showing up and fixing everything, setting up rain. We've talked about this before. Kind of his expectations were similar to those around him. And so what does he do? He's like, he pulls him aside. He's like, no, Jesus, you can't do this. This isn't what happens to the Messiah. And how does Jesus respond to it? So committed to this calling and this cause. He knew what was at stake there. So he says to him, get behind me, Satan. That's pretty serious. When Jesus Christ starts referring to you as Satan, probably not a good thing, right? And so pointing out the fact that, hey, you're being a spokesman for Satan right now because you're opposing my plan, my plan for ransoming or providing the option for ransom for all of mankind. And so he, was, he put him back in his place. And the reason for uh, that is because he, he knew that this, there's, there's so much at stake and so he calls us, so he's fully in. And in verse 34, he, we're going to see here in a second that he asks the same of us. Take a look at verse 34. It says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel, will save it. It's quite a, a section of scripture there, pretty intense charge. A lot, a lot of people aren't, aren't real sure what to do with that, not real palatable, not exactly the, the gospel message that we necessarily hear in American church, if we're honest. So often it's more about all the benefits and all the good things to come. But this is Jesus saying, listen, if you're going to follow me, there's some expectations and they're high. They're high. MacArthur paints the picture. He says, these are the necessary things for a trip to say goodbye, to pack up your luggage, and start the journey. Let's break it down with that in mind. The first one, saying goodbye, this idea of deny yourself. That's the first thing that Jesus describes as part of following him. Deny yourself. Now, this is a, 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 a little section of scripture that a lot of people, if we're honest, get confused on that. Because a lot of people think that what you're denying is either possessions or pleasures, like, and that might be the case, but it's even greater than that, because a lot of people are like, well, which things do I deny? Which things do I, I, I let go of? But here's the, the truth of the intent of those words. Denying himself is to actually more than that. It's talking about, when he says himself, it's refusing. It's the same word as he used for de Peter denying Jesus. It's refusing companionship with me. It's like you saying, like, Scott Kegel, have no idea who he is. I deny knowing him. He's no longer in existence. So what he's saying, he's saying this call is to deny you. It's to deny you. It's no longer, it's saying no to the God who is me. He wants you to treasure him more than self, 
more than self-preservation, more than self-promotion, more than self-accumulation. It's the death of self. I don't know if you can think back in your own life, kind of that, that tug of war that the world plays on that, where you kind of went through that decision. Maybe you're still in that tug of war right now. And to be honest, it's a constant tug of war, but there's usually in somebody's life, there's a, a major point or crossroads where somebody has to really choose, man, am I going to let go? Am I going to let go of self, let go of me? I remember coming out of high school, and I really lived this dual life. It was a rough season. We're trying to do the God thing on the weekend and doing the, uh, the, the, the me thing during the week, and just that coexistence was exhausting. Remember during that time listening, this was when, uh, uh, this is dating things a little bit, but this is when the, uh, the walk, not the Walkman, but the CD, whatever the CD one's called? Discmans were first out, right? And so I, I remember I got given to me as my first experience with Christian music. Somebody gave me a Jars of Clay CD. Anybody remember Jars of Clay? And I remember just having a couple songs just on, on repeat, and one in particular that I, I listened to a ton of times. Uh, it was called Worlds Apart. Worlds Apart. And I remember that song was one of those that just echoed in my brain. And I just, it was during that wrestling match that, that, I, uh, that, that I was having with God of kind of the holding on to the world or letting go. I want to have you guys listen just for a second to this inner wrestling from this song uh, called Worlds Apart. Look beyond the empty cross, forgetting what my life has cost. And wipe away the crimson stains until the nails it still remains. More and more, I need you now. I owe you more each passing hour. Battle between grace and pride. Give up not so long ago, so steal my heart and take the pain. And wash the feet and cleanse my pride. Take the selfish, take the weak, and all the things I cannot. tug of war needs to happen for each one of us, kind of wrestling through and, and the, the work that the Holy Spirit does in our life of kind of taking these closed fists that are around this, like holding on and just saying, no, I want to peel those open. I, I want all of it. We talked about it, about it last week, this idea he wants us fully in. He wants all of it. I, here's my home, my checkbook, my talents, my gifts, my brain, my heart, my hands, my feet, my mouth. Here it is. It's all for you. That's what he's saying when he describes denying self, denying self, done with it, a complete release. So there's a letting go aspect, but then the, the packing up idea, the taking up his cross is the next thing that he points to. If you think about his audience at that time, 
They really had no idea how Jesus was going to die. He doesn't point to a cross in any of his explanations. And so the only thing that they associated with the cross was the idea of pain and suffering. It was a, it was a miserable thing saved only for the condemned. It was an image of shame. If you think about it from that time period, Greg Ogden, who's an a, a author in a study that a lot of us are doing in the church, was talking about this fact that a person that was carrying their cross had already been given a death sentence. In other words, this man's life had ended, but his suffering was just getting started. That's really the picture here for us. That yes, we're, we're done with me, okay, I'm letting go, but we shouldn't be shocked that suffering is part of the equation, that that's part of the deal. That's what he said. It's not saying that it's something that we need to pursue. A lot of people get confused about that too, thinking that we're going to pursue it and like, hey, if we're going to be super godly, we need to look for suffering uh, or, or opportunities to, to suffer. I don't, I don't think that's the picture. Anybody else attest that life brings it all by yourself? You can just wait for it to arrive. And, uh, and, and so here he's pointing out, he's wanting to be crystal clear. He doesn't want there to be anything that we're not clear in. First, we're to say no to self, now saying yes to suffering. And just because you're not experiencing it now doesn't guarantee that you're not going to experience it in the future. Anybody amen to that? Just because things are like, ah, but things are great. You know what? Guess what? It's not necessarily always going to be like that. A lot of times when we talk about suffering or carrying a cross, we associate that kind of suffering with like a lot of things. Like, oh yeah, this is the cross I'm carrying right now. When he's talking about carrying a cross, he's talking about specifically on behalf of saying, I'm making this stand for Jesus Christ, and and because of that, I'm going to expect some ridicule some harassment, some, some opposition. And even now, if you look in our culture, it's a lot of places we turn. And I wouldn't be surprised that we don't sneak through this existence without experiencing more and more of it. Ask a teacher in the public school system if it's not growing and moving that direction. So not to be surprised with it and not to uh, link all suffering as, yes, that's my cross. Your wife or your spouse is not your cross to carry. Hear this idea of, is saying that Christ's claim on someone is exclusive and total. He's not interested in sharing it. He's saying, listen, you got to expect it's a giving all, and there's going to be some suffering involved. But here in the last, the last section, there's also a following piece to start the journey. So that's when you're planning this trip or planning what it looks like to follow Christ. Follow is actually the same word used for the word mimic. How many of you have had a, an annoying little kid before, whether it's your own or somebody else's, do the like repeat everything you say thing? And you're like, are you kidding me? Stop it, stop it. Well, Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, keep it coming, keep it coming. Do the things that I say. Go the places that I go. Respond the way that I respond. He's inviting us to mimic him. He's inviting us to mimic him completely. And so not, e- not only just that when you're following him, there's always, it's not just a mimic piece. It seems like always when he calls somebody to follow him, there's a leaving something behind, right? It's usually an element of something that gets left behind. And a lot of times this in our day and age has to do with priorities, has to do with priorities based on the, what are our, my relationships look like now that I'm fully following him? 
What, what does my, my use of time look like now that I'm fully following him? What does my use of resources look like as a manager rather than an owner? What, is, what, are, what do all of these things look like if I'm mimicking Christ? There's a following him. There's a leaving behind component. That's why we're warned in Scripture to count the cost. Count the cost. But he, he ends that section saying, listen, if you try to avoid this and try to just save your life, you're going to end up losing it. So why not give it willingly? Why not give your life? He's saying, listen, whoever gives their life on my behalf, man, you're going to save your life. It's, a, it's, a, it's the exact opposite of what is intuitive for us. It's saying, listen, you give it up and you actually gain it. There's a lot at stake here. Let's look at the last section here to exactly that point. What is at stake? Verse 36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Stop there for a second. Forfeit his soul. That's a pretty intense statement there. Forfeit. What, what is a soul? The dictionary itself defines it as this, the spiritual or immaterial part of a human being. I think they got it with that. It's the part that lives, lives on. It's the, it's the eternal part of who we are, our spiritual being. And what he's saying in this context, he's saying, listen, even if you have it all, I mean, if you put, make Bill Gates look like a, somebody in a, in a food line, you know what I mean? Like, even if you have every single thing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's all pointless. It's all fleeting. It all goes. So even if you have it all and you lose your soul, man, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? It begs us to ask the question, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Think about that for a second. What would you give in exchange for your soul? The part of you that's just going to keep on going. It's going to eternal. It never stops. It's always going to be. It's always, what, would you give, it, what would you give for that in return for it? The answer, I hope you'd come to this conclusion, and what he's pointing to is I'd give everything for it. I'd give anything for it. I'd give everything because it's so much is at stake. It's my soul. It's my, the internal part of me. I should be willing to give everything for it. And guess what? That's what Jesus is asking for. Kind of sobering. Sometimes kind of hard to, not, not a real palatable message, a kind of a hard thing to present to somebody when you're trying to sell them on the idea of, of following Jesus. Well, guess what? You've you got to give everything, all, all of you. And, and the, the encouraging thing is, is that's a process, right? It's a process. It's, a, it's something that he keeps taking off layers. And he's like, okay, I'm going to take that section. I'm going to take that piece. I'm going to take that. And sometimes it's going willingly, and sometimes it's going kicking and screaming. Amen? Sometimes it's not without a fight. But the truth is, is that's what his desire is. And the person that would say, man, this call is just too great. I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not willing. I'm not willing. Don't, I'm not signing up. That person has a limited view of what awaits on the other side. Does that make sense? That person has a, a narrow view of what's in store on the other side. For the person that does sell out and does say, all right, I'm fully in. What is at stake and what's on the other end of that? Paul's somebody that got it. 
I love 2 Corinthians 4, 16. You might be familiar with this section of Scripture. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Any amens to that? Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary, thank the Lord, affliction is preparing for us, listen to these words, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There's nothing we can even compare it to. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, our eyes, are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Are eternal. He's pointing out this fact that all these things that we see and we think are worth chasing after. He said, listen, you gotta trust me. You got it, and that's why following Christ is exactly that. It's a trust exercise. He's saying the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There's nothing here in the transient, in the here and now, that you're like, all right, that's, that's worth it. He's saying that all that is pointless when your soul is at stake. So all that we do to protect ourselves and save ourselves, what if we're missing it? What if, what if we're like, you know what? This world's got nothing for me. It's got, it's, I, I let go. It's got nothing for me. What a beautiful release that could be. Amen.